Happy Wednesday, Dog Nation. We have another jam-packed episode for you today as we recap the Bulldogs' defeat over the Florida Gators. We talk about the passing of the DGD, Vince Dooley, and we discuss the newly released playoff rankings as the University of Georgia Bulldogs look to host the Tennessee Volunteers. As always, I'm Cheeto, and with me is Keegan, and welcome back to another episode of Dogs Off the Leash. So we discussed on the last podcast the passing of one Charlie Trippy and how much he meant to the program. And, you know, because he was a little bit of an, his day, his glory days were a while ago. That's one thing. But the passing of one Vince Dooley has just really taken its toll on Dog Nation. This, this was, again, another legend of the program, the DGD of DGDs. And this one is a, a tough pill to swallow for, for Dog Nation. And, um, I uh, hate, hate to see it happen. I think it was shortly after he got home after a battle with COVID. Uh, but Keegan, a loss like a loss like this obviously impacts the program in a big way. But, you know, what what is there that we can say about Vince Dooley that people may not know or like how, how big of an impact will this have on this university, this team and, and the fans alike? I think from above, you know, many will look at him as like, obviously a really successful coach and championship winning coach and, you know, maybe a particular moment or a particular highlight or uh, just maybe know him as a college football ambassador at large. But the thing I know about Vince Dooley is that he was like a proud member and a very involved uh, civilian in Athens. And you can tell a lot about someone from like how they operate in their local community. And Vince Dooley to me was someone that in the city of Athens, like he had a lot of, I guess, respect, high esteem, high regard. And he was highly involved, like from his, you know, community donations to just being someone that was a man of the people. Like he, he walked around the campus of UGA openly he would talk to anyone you know he had many many times where he would you know be accessible at the UJ bookstore um, he took part in you know UGA athletic program as you know an athletic director af- after his tenure he you know hired and mentored Mark Richt he you know was involved in uh, just being around the program even even in the Kirby era to his nineties. So like all that to say, like Vince Dooley was like the, he wasn't just like a DGD. He was a people person who loved people. He was very, he, he had a a heart of someone who, you know, was very, just very into service, like from a genuine place. Like that was just who he was. And, you know, it's, it's a big loss for college football, for Georgia football, like for the, history books and all the kind of shiny accolades of just the legend he was on the field and what he meant to UGA. But as a person, Vince Dooley was just like one of the best people period. And he had a good heart. And I think you can just tell a lot about someone from how they 
interacted with the community. And he, you know, from, from his tenure at UGA, even though, you know, he's an Auburn grad and he had a lot of ties to that program, just like Pat Dye with, did with Auburn. At the end of the day, he, he bled red and black all the way through and for all his life gave every bit of time, energy, and effort to see the university be successful and shine because he loved Athens. He loved UGA. And, you know, he's, there's no replacing Vince Dooley. I know we got Dooley field named after him and, you know, he's going to have a big place in everyone's hearts, you know, for, for years to pass, but, you know, I hope this fuels UGA's effort in getting a back-to-back national title. I'm so glad and grateful as a fan. And I don't know, it meant a lot to Vince as well to be able to witness another national title with Kirby Smarts. You know, Kirby Smart, he, at the end of the day, he passed the torch and the success lingered on and continued into this era and he got to witness it. And that photo we see of Kirby and Vince Dooley on the field is iconic as iconic can be. And it just means so much. And it just goes to show how deep the emotions can be in the sport of football. And now at the end of the day, it is about, you know, uh, companionship, friendship, team, uh, you know, teammates, community at large, and, you know, the spirit of competition and, and love. And you saw a lot of uh, other programs reaching out and shouting out the loss of Vince Dooley. And I really appreciate that as a fan. And, you know, it's, it's sad. It's sad. So uh, words, words won't go deep enough, but that's kind of <laughs> what I've been feeling over the last week with, with the passing. I think most people would agree that his impact on the program definitely extends far, far beyond the field. And, you know, he was getting older in in age. And a lot of times, you know, people with older parents and grandparents, they'll tell you, like, while you may expect things like this to come eventually, you can kind of see the signs coming. Like, it doesn't make it any easier. And I think that uh, applies here very seamlessly. But as far as his accolades on the field, this university owes him a debt that it it'll never be able to repay. As a coach here, he won or was a part of winning six SEC championships, ended up being the coach of the year four times. And then of course, the second national championship in university history in 1980 with Herschel Walker. We talked about that on the last podcast, and this is all in 25 seasons. So the longevity, the consistency, the, the accomplishments, the, the, you know, reaching the mountaintop and sustaining the program during that time, you know, it definitely had its effect on, and it goes beyond, like you said, he brought in Mark Richt and, you know, kind of taught him a little bit as well. And I think even Kirby is a huge, he knows the history. He, he went here, he played here. So just a lot of appreciation from so many different facets as, as a fan base, you know, he's a beloved figure um, in his time while he was here after in all the multiple positions that he held and then kind of as the statesman for the program, even in his older age. So um, a big loss for UGA. And I really do hope that this helps give a good perspective to the program. The guys are in the program now about what it means to be a Georgia Bulldog and the type of the, the way you want to carry yourself as a, a 
you know, a program. I think he was a great role model for the program. I think those things really, one of those intangible measures that uh, end up really affecting individuals and groups as a whole within the University of Georgia and the fan base that surrounds the, the university. Amen. <laughs> I felt like I was in church service, but no, and, and and it's all good. You definitely definitely want to give him his his flowers. I, I think we did a good job doing that before he passed, but um, I think now is a good time as well. But don't want this entire podcast to be, you know, have a overcast of, of that magnitude because this is actually a very big week for the football program, um, especially after beating Florida, one of your major rivals. Georgia ended up winning forty-two to twenty, and what was a good game for three quarters, but that third quarter, I think even the most faithful of fans have had a lot of questions about that, giving up two turnovers in that corner and letting Florida back in the game with third, with 17 third quarter points, three total total turnovers for the game. We did some good things. We had 555 yards of total offense, which you love to see. But me personally, I felt like the defense was not as sharp. We gave up a lot of passing yards, a uh, hundred, rushing yards on the dot but speaking to other fans and other fans of other fan bases about what they saw there was just a lot of wide receivers running down the field that had Anthony Richardson not struggled with his downfield passing could have been a different game and going into Tennessee this week that is not what you want to see but again if you're looking at the other three quarters defense was great offense was great but that third quarter really gave me some things to think about and I'm not too happy about it. Keegan, uh, your thoughts on the Florida game as a whole and what you saw offense defense. Yeah, I agree with you. It was an ugly quarter, a lot of, you know, sloppy kind of mistakes, but at the end of the day, we had that ugly quarter and still managed to win with a margin of victory that we did. Absolutely. I think that that shows a little bit of grit and honestly, you don't want your team to suffer or to be exposed or necessarily to, you know, take too many uh, punches on the chin, but like, it's good for this team to have faced adversity, to have moments where they did respond and like to have that track record. Like if, you know, you're going to be playing better and better opponents as the season goes on, obviously this week, big matchup, but the implications for what Georgia wants to do in this game upcoming in maybe an SEC championship, in a playoff, you know, contention. Georgia's wanting to, you know, play at a high, at the highest level imaginable. So, like, while we don't want sloppy quarters, it, I think it shows grit when Georgia responds. And moving forward, we're gonna gonna see a lot of that because if there is something that you know Georgia is maybe lacking. In some areas, it's maybe just overall experience. Last year's team was a little bit older, although we do have a good mix of seniors and leaders on the team. Uh, we do have a lot of youth as well. So it's good for our youth to get tested. And there's all this talk. <laughs> Obviously, everyone's talking about this game. It's probably, I think they're calling it the biggest game in Sanford Stadium history. I I'm guessing that goes just by the ranking alone. I don't know if it'll be the greatest game in Sanford, you know, stadium uh, history, but the biggest. So let me ask you this, Cheeto. Is this a playoff game? Potentially. It, it could be. And I think that's something that we need to discuss because as we see the rankings now, that could be a reality. Uh, and it just depends on, it depends on several factors. But game of the game of the century, no game of the year. I think it could 
and it could end up being a blowout one way or the other. So I think we'll have a better idea looking back on the game versus looking up to the game, although the buildup is crazy right now. You know how the talking heads are. Dude, the the nosebleed seats are like about $500, $600 right now at the tippity-tippity top. I've, so, I've seen crazier numbers than that. Oh, really? On the, on the internet. I mean, I remember looking – I remember before – they beat Alabama. The tickets were already getting pretty pricey. After that, to the moon. I mean, and I and I get it. Like this is this is a game that a lot of fans wanted to be there, or tried to be there, but at prices like that, man, listen, I'll find me a I'll find me a TV and some chicken wings, and I'll be all right. Like I'd love to be there. You know, as a student, we went to plenty of games. So like as as great as this one would be, I got my Oregon Oregon game in. Like for those prices, like I'm good. People trying to resell them and make a killing, like not off my back. This is, this is a test of your UGA fandom. Everyone has a price. How much? Everyone asks yourself this. Can't nobody how take much, my card. How much would it take for you to sell your ticket to a Tennessee fan? That That's going to define <laughs> how big a fan you are. I know some people that would, could have generational wealth, but they would, you know, not want to sell it. To Honestly, just off principle alone, I would struggle with selling my ticket to a Tennessee fan. But listen, if a fan came to me talking about uh, two thousand, a couple grand, something like that, like I, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, listen, <laughs> GBO, <laughs> that's a go big horn. <laughs> No, never that, never that. But listen, listen. As you get older, like you know, you start, you start getting, you stop getting worked up about so much, so many things like that. But you know, it is what it is. Some people have their principles, and I respect it. <laughs> but uh, I, I wanted to heart back. I wanted to talk about some uh, sloppy play because we mentioned the turnovers in the third quarter. Ugh. I feel like Brenton Cox has been sloppy since he left the University of Georgia. I feel like every year this man always wants to poke the bear and I think a lot of it's in good fun but like I don't know why he always makes himself a target and then we always go to Jacksonville and like wax wax him personally wax his position group wax his defense and I guess it really got to him this week because uh you know there's rumors of him throwing a punch doing doing the most being sloppy and he has now been dismissed from the team now listen I am not I am not that guy when Jermaine Burton transferred out Best of luck to you, bro. You didn't think that you were going to be successful here. I understand why you went. Do I, am I rooting for you? Absolutely not. Am I going to go out of my way to spew hate and vitriol? I'm, I'm not, I'm not that guy. Same thing with Brenton Cox. When he left and went to Florida, like, dang, I, I really wish you wouldn't have. Do I have any hate towards you? Not at all. And a lot of times, again, Jermaine Burton made his decision. It didn't work out. Did it to himself. Brenton, Brenton Cox, been sloppy, was sloppy at Florida, was sloppy here kicked off the team, did it to himself. So, like, there's really no need for all this extra. Kirby says it all the time. I'm worried about the players in this locker room. I don't have time or I I do not care to spend all my energy hating on kids that used to be here. Don't care. So, I hope he he lands on his feet. Hope he gets a chance at the NFL. But um, I I just think people who stay in this program see the benefits of it sooner than later. And he could have been killing it. Um, with this team, and especially now that you know Nolan's out, that could have been a position that he could have helped fill. Uh, and speaking of Nolan being out, that's going to definitely impact this game. What? Uh, so the report is that Nolan has, uh, I guess, torn his uh, pec muscle and is due to have surgery ASAP. I think even today, maybe they put out uh, official comment, but that is going to be a loss for this defense. 
not so much with the numbers specifically, but his leadership and his experience, it does have its impact on the game. And I think that's the thing with Nolan. As a five-star, top-rated top recruit coming out of high school, he's had more impact than he's had numbers on the season. So while I do think we're going to miss him, I do think it's very possible for his void to be filled by somebody who may be better on the stat sheet alone. And I just wanted to ask you your thoughts um, because I know it's going to get talked about, but I don't think that it's going to kill us having Nolan out as much as I would love to have him there. Your thoughts. I hope hope he's just vocal and I think he will be. And, you know, just even having his presence on the sideline is going to help. Just like last year, to his credit, you know, JT Daniels was like a a pretty good quarterback coach from what I could see. At least he just seemed to always be involved and just had a passion for his teammates. And I think in the same vein, you know, Nolan Smith is the same kind of guy. It sucks not having him. But, you know, I think that's going to mean more Robert Bill Jr. And while, you know, to me – this takes nothing away with like how good Nolan is. And honestly, the thing that I think we should mention about Nolan that I witnessed many times is just his ability to like run down fast quarterbacks. Like he's a fast dude. So even though sometimes he may not get the sack, he closes in on quarterbacks in such a way that where there's like, they might've had that wild scramble. And then here comes Nolan. You're not going to scramble for too long before Nolan eventually gets out out of his block and uh, you know, especially on those like longer plays, that's something that I don't think maybe the stat sheet shows, but anyway, that said, Robert bill jr. Is available. (laughs) He's saying, Hey coach, put me in. And you know, last year he, he led our team in sacks. And to me, he's like the defense is Dejon Edwards. You know, the stat sheet says, Hey, we should maybe give this guy more reps. And I hope that it is uh, as fruitful as what we've seen with Dejon and the stats maybe indicating how much we should get him in the game. So I like that. And also something too to consider MJ Sherman, you know, number two outside linebacker coming out of high school. He's now a junior and he, you know, he could get more reps and I think, you know, get getting him, uh, you know, moving the guys around that we have. And also who knows, maybe we're talking, you know, Monday, Sunday, whenever, about the guys that stepped up in Nolan's place. And I really just hope for Nolan's sake and for the team's sake that that communication is not lost and that he, you know, hopefully is in good enough spirits and stays engaged uh, in the game because it really means a lot to the sideline. And you can tell he's kind of the vocal leader of this team. I couldn't agree more with that. And I just wanted to, you know, point out, along with the players that you mentioned, Robert Beal and uh, MJ Sherman, I, I do think whoever Glenn Schumann decides is ready and capable of playing the position, I think will be in a great position to, to succeed. I think Glenn Schumann has always been really good with the linebackers and only putting people out there, teaching everybody, and then finding the players are going to make that impact. Some other names to look out for is uh, at the position, Chaz Chambliss, who I believe did get some time um, last week until he kind of tweaked his hamstring. And then the one player that I'm excited about in this freshman Incoming class, uh, obviously, we've heard a lot about Michael Williams. I, I expect him to step up and have a, a much better day against Tennessee, but also Marvin Jones Jr. A little bit of a late addition to this class, but this guy has the potential to be the next Jarvis Jones-esque type rusher off the edge. 
this kid has all the tools when you, you know, when you come out of high school, like you may have the build, you may have these certain attributes that teams look for, but he is a pass rush specialist. Now, given that he's a freshman, is it possible that Tennessee thinks he may play and like try to hit him with some screen work and things like that? You know, freshmen that they love getting caught up in their pass rush and then linemen are leaving and they don't feel that pool of linemen, but the potential that he has raw talent getting after the quarterback, I think could be utilized here. But you also have to be mindful that Tennessee's up-tempo is part of the reason that makes them so dangerous. So sub substituting alone is going to be a big deal for us. But again, I, I need people to remember that this is, for all intents and purposes, this is the same team that we went to Neyland Stadium last year and dominated. Yes, they scored points and they got out ahead of us early, but we dominated. Different defense, but by the numbers, our defense is just as strong, stronger in the secondary than this year. And Tennessee... They can run the ball. Kirby said it. They can run the ball, but I'm not scared of them running the ball all over us unless we're missing tackles like we did too often against Florida. So there's a lot of things here. But speaking of Florida, let's touch on this real quick. Keegan, I want to pose this question to you. How much stock do you put in to the 42 to 20 win that Georgia had at a neutral site versus the 38 to 35 win that Tennessee had at home? Do you put any stocks into that or is it just simply a Styles? make fights and you can't relate the two type of situation you know there's apples and oranges and styles do make fights but at the end of the day florida is not that good of a team and you know against tennessee they looked pretty good so i think just like any kind of criticism you may have of or anyone may have of georgia's season and some of the games they've looked a little sloppy and you got to kind of look at that tennessee florida game and kind of be like hmm you know, what, what's the story there? Was it, you know, just an off day or is there, is it Florida play really well? Or is, you know, is it saying that, you know, Tennessee's a little overrated, which to me, this whole hype train is deserved to some extent, because, you know, it's very impressive what Josh Heupel's been able, been able to do. They won but, the games they played. Yeah, and they've and they're undefeated, and they're in the conversation. And mad props. And I'm I'm excited for them in a sense because I you know can imagine what it would be like to be a diehard fan. And you know I, I like love and respect a lot of fans. And I know you you are even more North Georgia than I am, and probably had more Tennessee fans around you growing up. So absolutely. And I'd know, like uh, listeners to stay tuned too. We're gonna have some Tennessee fans on, and I think getting their perspective will kind of help. Uh, supplement where we're coming from as like we're happy for them in a sense of the rise but it's still Tennessee don't get it twisted (laughs) exactly so all that said Bama the Bama win is Tennessee's biggest win on paper that's why you know playoff rankings came out they're ranked number one you know which is a little bit controversial they got Georgia at three you know kind of opposite of the AP and you know uh, some of the other polls around the country but to me that Bama game, obviously Tennessee's at home. That's that only adds so much. But Bama had almost 200 yards in penalties, you know, close to it. So that's like near a 200-yard handicap, and and still, you know, Bryce Young's a little bit banged up. I know Bama fans are going to say that. Like I've heard their excuses, nonetheless. But like, I'm not. I know that's an impressive win and that's, you know, it, it, it does, it deserves some merit and, you know, some, some respect, put some respect on that win's name. But at the end of the day, you can also look into it and say, 
is a little bit of an overrated win, and they only won by three points with like near 200 yards after an Alabama missed field goal to go to go ahead. So I mean, yeah, you gotta you gotta consider the context. And Bama really, you know, should have you know ran out the clock. Uh, you know, not at least forced overtime. You know, they had the possession late in the game. They could yeah, have, that offense you know, at midfield, bad, bad so idea. I just think, you know, circumstantially, if Georgia doesn't get into any of that, doesn't have the penalties, let's say, you know, we play a little less than Bama, we, we still probably have an edge at home over Tennessee. And I think that kind of reflects in the point spread, which is, I think, a 10, 12-point tilt towards Georgia. So I like where – uh, you know, Tennessee is not, you know, give credit where credit's due. But I think at the end of the day, complimentary football is like the future still. You know, we can talk all the offensive genius in the world, but I still believe defense wins championships. And, you know, that might mean that some of the defenses have to adjust year to year, but defense to me wins championships. And if you can play complimentary football and, you know, as you mentioned earlier, styles win fights. Georgia has a really good style. They they have a really good toolkit to match up against Tennessee. So I like that they've been able to run the ball so effectively. Georgia's got a great offense of their own. And we're not we're not looking like Tennessee does on defense. You know, we're looking much, much better. So I mean, I heard one ESPN analyst say, well, you know, Tennessee has the better team. It's obvious, but you know, Georgia's got more talent. And I said, wait, 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 wait what now? <laughs> Tennessee's got the better team, but Georgia's got more talent. Georgia's got more talent. We're more deep. We're more complimentary. Like, does does all that get, you know, overshadowed by potentially one better offense that's really not, you know, on paper, just a little bit better numerically? And they've put like 60 points and 59 points up on no-name squads where we – we're running the ball more. I mean, to me, it's it's just kind of like laughable. And I think I, as hype as I am about this game, I think, you know, the powers that be want to put all the, you know, the chips on Tennessee just because maybe it affects the betting or just the eyeballs overall. And I, I think Tennessee deserves a lot of the hype. They're a really good team. But if if they came in like to they, – if they came into Georgia's backyard and whipped our ass, I would be shocked. Let's talk facts. Let's talk facts. Because again, ESPN's job is to hype this game up. The talking heads, they'll they're gonna say what they're gonna say, but let's let's talk facts. Okay. AP poll, coaches poll, all those things. The only ranking that matters right now is the playoff rankings that just dropped. But they don't even matter right now. Like that's that's the thing about it. They're the only one that matters, but they don't matter right now. And as we've discussed already, Tennessee is number one. Ohio State is number two, UGA number three, and Clemson, I don't know how, but they're number four. So what it looks like to me is you can see clearly that the the committee values a couple of things. And right now it looks like sexy offense is the the you know the prize of the day. And like that's fine. That's good for college football, it's good for ratings, that's fine. Um, but as of today, this day, the University of Tennessee, while some of their wins are questionable and you have to look at the context, I think that they have one of the better, if not the best resume as it stands. And looking at that resume, they have beaten, they beat Alabama, they beat Florida, and they beat the University of Kentucky. I don't think Florida was ranked at the time. If they were, they were low 20, but all of those games were at home. 
Again, they barely beat Alabama. They 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 handled Kentucky last week. That was their most impressive win as far as like score or the spread or the margin of win, right? To me. And then, but let's not forget their road games as well. They went overtime with a Pitt Pittsburgh team that has struggled since then. Overtime game, right? And then another big win for them was LSU on the road. LSU has looked Early on, they did not look good, but it's looked better as of late, which is normal in football as far as projections go. Um, but but that but that's what it is. And again, the talking heads, they're gonna tell you all the things that, oh, it's gonna be George, Georgia's defense versus Tennessee's offense. And while that may, you know, on the surface be what it is, because Tennessee's offense is number one, and Georgia's defense is third in a couple of categories and uh, top 10 and some others. But what they're not going to tell you is that UGA, UGA's offense is not an offense that can be neglected. We are as prolific as we have ever been in the Kirby era. And just to give you some numbers, so in points per game, while Tennessee's number one, Georgia is number five. Now, in points allowed, talking about the defense, Tennessee's is a, a very a very respectable 26. Georgia is allowing the third least points per game. Total yards, Tennessee number one, Georgia number two. Passing yard, Tennessee's number two, and we're top 10. So this, this idea that it's just going to be that side of the ball versus our defense, is, it doesn't make any sense, which is why I think, again, to your point, very well-rounded team, complimentary football, and then Stetson could have the game of his life. We've seen him do it before. We saw him do it in the fourth quarter of the Alabama game. All we have to do is not make these mistakes not make turnovers, which is probably the biggest stat that I would pay attention to because the turnover margin, Tennessee is plus eight, which is top 10 in the nation versus UGA's dead even margin, which is going to cost us. If we have a quarter like we had against Florida, that third quarter, we could very easily lose this game. So those are some of the things that I'm looking at in particular. Uh, Keegan, as far as this game, what do we need to do to win or what are going to be some of the key position groups to look at or things that we need to do to be successful here? I think we just got to triple down on our strengths. Like we've, we've done such a good job being complimentary. I don't think we need to like get too gimmicky. I mean, sure. Let's get creative on offense and do some things here and there to exploit them, but like not get cute. Like we, we know what we're good at it at this point. And I think that we need to continue on running the ball, keeping Hendon hooker off the field, getting that, uh, you know, Tennessee defense is probably not as deep as ours kind of ran down and tired throughout the game. And, you know, playing that style is going to keep the fans involved. And, you know, home field advantage is key. And I think that if we play in that manner, it's going to really play into our favor. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. We get 200 yards on the ground so we can throw it over the top like we need to and stretch the field and really get our tight ends involved. Like we've we've done such a good job with our tight end room, obviously I think it's the best in the country head and shoulders better than the next team you might want to mention. And looking at some of Tennessee's games, I've watched tape on them for the last three or four days. And I would say that Tennessee has struggled mightily against tight ends, tight ends that range from decent to pretty good. So we have even better tight ends. So I don't, I don't, I think that, you know, Tennessee is probably going to be looking for us to exploit that. Maybe even that, you know, plays into our hand. But I think we got to go the tight end and just double down on our strengths, man. Like Hendon Hooker is not the type of quarterback that is going to be able to be, you know, sacked 10 times more than likely. 
But if we can just affect him, do a little bit better job than teams have done. And honestly, you know, it wasn't even a sack. I mean, it was probably a late hit against Anthony Richardson in this last week's game. But, like, that played a big factor. He took a big major hit, was feeling it in his leg. You know, I don't think he's injured, but, like, he was feeling it. It slowed him down. It affected the whole game. So if we can get, you know, some hits, just some pressure, some some early on success against Hendon Hooker and what appears to be a first-rounder in, uh, you know, Tennessee's offensive uh, left tackle uh, Darnell Wright and also you know you can't forget Cade May so they got some studs up front we're gonna have to use our speed Georgia has one of the fastest defenses I think we've ever had I don't know if it's the best but I think it's the most athletic and you know they talk about speed with Tennessee I think we got to unleash the speed with Georgia's D that's kind of my take and you know I'm, I would be curious to hear what you have to say and Tell me, do you think Hendon Hooker is as good as they say, or do you think that, you know, the hype's overblown? I think he's having a Heisman caliber season, and I don't want to dismiss that by any by any means. Talked to a Tennessee fan at work the other day, and he's similar. Hendon Hooker is similar to Stetson in that he's older. He's had time to really learn the system. He is, you know, he's playing with some younger guys, 18, 19, 20, as opposed to being 24, 25. But what this Tennessee fan told me is he wasn't very sure – that Hendon Hooker was going to have this same type of success in a in a system outside of Hypels. A lot of the up tempo, a lot of the you know shooting for first down, first down, first down, big play. He didn't think that it was going to necessarily translate over to the NFL level, and we've seen that because while he's got a good arm, like would he be if he was in a different system? Would he be that amazing? Does he? Is he the best player in college football? No, but he's he's having one of those seasons. And it and I think a system has a lot to do with it. Now we'll find out as the season goes along, like what happens when that system is slowed down by a good defense or or something of an, another. And what you're hearing all the time right now is, oh, this is reminiscent of the 2019 LSU team. I, I see some flakes of that, but again, it's it's gonna take more than that, or maybe it'll be a repeat and maybe I'll be I'll be proven wrong. But at this point, what the game come down comes down to for me is Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp finding ways to affect Hendon Hooker in the pocket, having the DBs not blow assignments, and can Hendon Hooker continue to make plays when he's when he's pressured when it's third and long in this up-tempo system? Can Hyatt and Tillman continue to have the successful seasons that they're having against our DBs, a couple of first rounders and a couple um, all SEC type talents right now, and Chris Smith and Keely Ringo and the others. And again, can that offensive line keep Hendon Hooker upright for most of the game? Can they stop with the penalties? Because we know what happens to teams when they come to Sanford Stadium. This is giving me some of the energy of Arkansas uh, a couple years ago when they came with their highly ranked offense and we shut them down. So that's what I'm looking for. And to be honest, I gave a lot of thought to the score prediction this week. I think that Georgia, call me a little bit biased. I think Georgia comes away with the win, 42 to 27. So I want to give this offense some credit because they're going to score points. Last year, they scored 17. I think we're maybe a little bit weaker in some areas and they find 10 points there. But I think our offense is going to run the ball throw it to our tight ends and break this defense's uh, Tennessee's defense's will. I don't think it'll be a shootout because our defense will keep 
disciplined. So give me 42-27 at home, dogs regaining the number one position in the college football rankings. And if Tennessee wins, they deserve number one, and best of luck to them. Yeah, I'm hoping that you're right. I'm going with Georgia 38, Tennessee 31. I think, you know, Tennessee is going to push Georgia, but I honestly think, you know, they'll score more of their points later on. I don't, we'll see, but overall Tennessee is a really good team that I think is just really good, not great. And And I know it's such a cliche, but watch that turnover battle, that, that turnover battle, any possessions, any extra possessions that these offenses get expect, expect points expect points absolutely and that brings us to this week's pick six looking at some other games and we'll kind of go through these quickly you know Clemson is traveling to Notre Dame man they just look sloppy so many times through the season so many close games probably more close games than any of the quote-unquote elite teams in discussion Notre Dame's got some talent they've been looking for a win it's at Notre Dame I think Notre Dame pulls away with this one. Do you, do you see that potentially happening or I, I do Notre Dame is trending up and Notre Dame's bread and butter this year, even when they were losing has they've hung their hat on the defense. And I think Clemson has really struggled to get that offense going. So I think this is a perfect storm at Notre Dame. This is opportunity for them to write the ship and really get back into some national prominence as far as this season goes. Bama at LSU. Does Bama dominate? Yeah, I think I think I think Alabama is starting to get back on track and that they will pull this one out at LSU, but I expect this one to be a really great game. I'm calling the push, maybe even an upset. Florida State at Miami. I like Florida State, you know, stumbling down there in the south south part of Florida and then 21 Wake Forest versus 22 NC State. Cheeto, who you got? Uh, give me Wake Forest and give me Miami getting a lot of momentum with the uh, McLean recruit uh, commit recently. I like it. I like it. Give me Wake Forest as well. I like that. So the last game, number 24, Texas, traveling to number 13, Kansas State University. Man, I said Texas. I really thought they'd make a playoff push at the beginning of the season. I still think they're going to make a Big 12 championship push, and who knows, with enough drama, maybe they're in that conversation at the end of the season. Give me number 24, Texas, on the road, upsetting number 13, Kansas State University. And you guys, that'll wrap up our show. What a big, big, big weekend coming up in Sanford Stadium. Arguably the largest, biggest, quote-unquote, on-paper game ever. And, you know, it looks like Georgia's going to be number three in the playoff, but they're number one in the AP. So the way I see it, it's two number ones, just like in boxing. It's going to be a great game. You guys be safe. Kirby said it best. If you know, you got a voice on Sunday, you didn't get loud enough. Well, you guys be loud, be proud. Have a good weekend. Go dogs, And you know what it is. Off the leash.